the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Who is it you're relying on? Who is it you're counting on to see you through? Are you the captain of your own ship? Or is somebody else the pilot? Let's talk about that next on Truth For Today. There is a big misnomer in Christendom. It goes something like this. God never gives you any more than you can handle. And really, from a biblical perspective, the truth is, He always gives us more than we can handle so that we might recognize His all-sufficiency and rest in Him. When we don't, we find ourselves in trouble, as we see in the life of David. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're back in 2 Samuel 24 and a message called, What Are You Counting On? As we take a look at the mistakes of David and learn from them. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's program. I've got free will. Yes, you do. And I can do what I want. Yes, you can. But the moment you step off of that building, your free will goes out the window. You don't get to pick the consequences. About the third story down says, you know, I want to change my will. Try it. You might wear about five parachutes. I'm free. Yeah. Woo! What happened to that last free man? We just buried him. He freely just just thought he could fly. You think that way about sin, don't you? If I want to sin, I'll sin. Yes, you can. And then I'll tell God what consequences there will be. No, you won't. He will tell you the consequences. You don't like the consequences, but you're not God. You're a mere human being. You are not in control of consequences. Why do we do the funerals of infants? Why do I wind up having to do the funerals of six-month-old children? What sin did they commit? Did you know that according to Romans 5, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, they died. He poisoned his entire race with the pollution of sin, and men and women die physically to remind you sin broke out in the universe, and God said you cannot sin without death. And if we could end infant mortality and and dying, we would. But you cannot pick consequences. And David, yes, you confess the sin, but 70,000 still must die. I want to say this, you can sleep with whoever you want. What are you going to do, young lady? Will it be abortion? Will it be a mother at 13? What are you going to do? You're going to have all kinds of hard decisions. And you boys that think it's fun and games, someday God's going to give you a daughter. Someday God's going to give you a a granddaughter, a niece, some female gender 
who is subject to the same kind of predator you were. And he'll break your heart that way. You'll find out it's not fun to go out and rape a girl and leave her pregnant. Sin is not fun when you count it from the beginning to the end. It's horrendous pain and death. And David finds it out when he goes to bed with Bathsheba. He finds it out when he sins. Every time he sins greatly, people start dying like flies. The greatest death toll against the race has been our antagonistic pride and telling God we don't need him. And Romans 1 said, God said, I will give you up to your own lust since you've chosen not to need me. And the race has been going down ever since. Well, David wants to get right with God. That's what makes him God's man. Uh, if I was God, I'd kill David. But I'm not God. And if I were David, I don't know. You could harden your heart. You do a lot of things. But there's something about David that thrills God's heart. And that is not his sinlessness. It is his brokenness when he is confronted. It is he's willing to do the things to get back. It's not that he doesn't sin horribly at times. Because when you read the account in Kings, God says this man is upright in all his doings in my sight. So God has forgiven him of all that. But there's five things I see that he had to do to get back. For counting on the wrong thing, he lost what he was counting on. Are you counting on a relationship that's going up in smoke? Did you put all your faith in a person that is proving less than a God? Did you put all your uh, strength and time into building this house or building up this bank account, whatever? Wealth, wisdom, our strength, we're always picked off. And at times God will pick your idol and he'll make it crumble in front of you. And he's trying to tell you there is no God that fits the description but me. And there are times in our life when the vine dresser comes in and he starts cutting off all these idols and this old wood that's not making us productive. And it hurts. We don't like it. We've grown used to that limb. We've grown used to that habit. We've grown used to that resource. And all of a sudden the gardener says, this is yielding no fruit. Clip. I don't like it when you take it away. Pour it on, but don't take it away. He said, I've got a clip out of your life. That's which is draining you from bearing fruit for me. David does five things that gets him back. In verse 13, he took the position of humility. He put himself in the hands of God. He says that, he said, let me fall into the Lord's hands. I, with God, I need mercy. When you're in trouble this morning, let me tell you, run to God. Run to God. The only perfect being in all the universe is the only one with oceans full of mercy for fallen sinners. When you get in the hands of men, men are at their worst meeting out judgment. They don't do a very good job of it. 
They'll put more on you than you can bear. God knows just enough. Run to God. David said, Lord, I don't want to fall in the hands of my enemies. I don't want to fall in the hands of the Philistines. I've sinned against you. You give the spanking. Go. God says, that's what you want, right? Right. Okay. And the merciful discipline was 70,000 men. Just think of what it would have been. When you're wrong, there's a mercy seat. It's at the throne of God, and the mercy seat is Jesus. He's willing to forgive you another time. Run to him. After that, they did something else. Uh, In verse uh, 16, the elders clothed themselves in sackcloth, as did David, and they fell face down. That's a wonderful place to be on your face when you're wrong. Uh, He humbled himself with his leadership before God in contrition. You cannot sin and take your case to God and humble yourself and God not restore you. He will. But it's a work of God that even brings the contrition, that brings the humility to give up our pride and say, unless you act on me, it's over. In verse 17, he confesses the sin. Listen to what he says. Was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family. But do not let this plague remain on your people. There is greatness. There's greatness. You know, I'd like to say this to you uh, folks. It scares me, the passage, but you know what? Sometimes God judges a church by letting the devil come against its leadership. If God doesn't like what you're doing and what's going on in this church, like he didn't like what was going on in Israel, could he allow Satan to come against our leadership and put some lies in our minds and get us to uh, quit praying, quit trusting, become proud, become uh, prayerless, become powerless, become mere showmen, no longer servants who are intercessors, no longer humble men, but proud and arrogant men. Oh, church, pray to God that he'll spare us. Are you proud in your ministry? You ought to pray for us in leadership. Who do you think the devil would come against if he wanted to destroy this church? Somebody in the parking lot or somebody in the leadership? I don't hear you. How much do you pray for leadership? I know a lot of people criticize leadership. I know some folks that God himself can't please just like those in the wilderness. I'm afraid more Christian leaders are set up for failure because maybe God's fed up with the people. I'm no better off, and this leadership's no better off than us all praying together and trusting God. We'll make it together or we'll lose it together. If I wind up stealing $50,000 from this church, it'll hurt this church. Am I capable? I'd have to figure out a way, but maybe I could. 
See, we, we put too much confidence in the flesh. We, you, you folks like to carry us preachers on a pedestal because then you don't have to pray for us. And if we just kind of fall, I got you. No, you don't. And if I need mercy, I won't go to you. I want to go to where David went. God, I need mercy. I don't want to fall. Please, Lord, do not let me fall because you don't like something going on among the saints. If there's sin in this place, I'm always leery. Are we tolerating sin? Is there any prayer meetings going on? We talk so much about music around the church. Good night. I want to push it back. Let's not talk about music. Let's talk about the prayer meeting. Friend, when I started this church, I had an old guitar and a sister on the piano. And I was telling Jesse, you better play us guys while you can. We're getting old. But hey, an old honky-tonk piano in a dingy old hall. But the Shekinah would show up in the place. Wasn't based on a choir, wasn't based on 18 instruments. It was based on the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and some folks saying, we want it, Lord. We want your blessing. We're hungry for you. We're not meeting in a dance hall to impress anybody. It's the only place we can go. But if there's only a few of us, we're hungry for reality. We don't want to play church. Don't get in this big building and start playing church. Don't you do it. Don't just get lost in this church and just get quiet on me either. I knew what you acted like over there. You're the same, folks. How it scares me. How proud and lazy the people of God get at acting as though technology, resources like this will make us be all we need. No, this is a gift from God. God doesn't move on uh, machinery. He doesn't move on technology. He doesn't move on notes. He moves on people. His instrument is people. You, you are the temple of God. Pray for your leadership that God will not let Satan come against us, that he may judge us all. What are we counting on? One satanic attack could put us in confusion for a year. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You haven't been in the war long enough. I know. He confessed his sin in verse 17 and he began to pray. Verse 18, he did something. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranah. So he goes up and he buys this piece of ground. He offers a sacrifice and in chapter 22, it becomes the site of the future temple that Solomon builds. But you know what uh, God is telling uh, David? You've got to go cling to a sacrifice if I'm going to get you well. There's a substitute that's got to die, David. Bring me a sacrifice. And I thought of Hebrews 9, 22. And there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. You know, the only reason you're able to get back in fellowship with God so easy, not because you're so worthy, but somebody outside the city limits of Jerusalem screamed out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God dealt deeply, severely with my son and my sin in the person of his son. 
God doesn't forgive you cheaply. You don't sin freely. Somebody worth more than 70,000 of Israelites, the very Son of God, in whom the heavens closed their eyes, died in your place. That's the only way you can get back. For at the mercy seat is blood. It's over the ark. And he said to David, bring me a sacrifice. I ought to kill you, but if you'll bring a substitute, I'll spare you. The only way God can have fellowship with you and I is Christ, our sacrifice, has died in our place. Are you clinging to him? Clinging to him. I hold on to you like the horns of the altar, the only place I can have God forgive me is at the mercy seat where there's blood. And uh, David did that. And notice what it says in verse 27. Then the Lord spoke to the angel and he put his sword back into the sheath. After he brought the burnt offering, look at it, look at it. He looks down at that offering and the death angel is getting ready to wipe out the city of Jerusalem, the capital of the king. When he saw the smoke and the blood of that animal, the picture is he took the sword and he put it in the sheath. Someone said at Calvary, God took the sword of justice and he plunged it into the scabbard of mercy. And the scabbard was the sight of his own son. I've put away the sword, David. I've been atoned. I've been satisfied. This animal has bought your life again. Hear me. The only reason any of us are still in the body is the sword was plunged in the side of the Savior. The sword against my sin. Well, what can you do to a God that will forgive you this way? The only thing I know in the Bible is you, you uh, read Romans and he said, when you discover you've been given mercy by God, all God asks is you give yourself as a sacrifice. You just offer yourself to God. Now, I, it's hard for me to believe that you can be saved and never have done that, but I know enough Christians to know that's true. That you can be saved here today and still act like your life is your own, still act like God has no say over you, you're not going to get involved in service, uh, you just come here and taste sermons or whatever. But when you comprehend God's been merciful to you, you want to give him something. You want to say thank you some way. And God didn't say, uh, give me a $50,000 offering. He didn't say, uh, buy me a new Lexus. He didn't say, give me. He said, uh, you'll be enough payment. What? You. I want you. Lord, I'm not much. I said, I want you. If you understand I've been merciful to you, I've delivered you from this pride. I'm delivering you from the punishment you deserve. I put the sword of justice in the scabbard of mercy. Would you just give me what's left of your life and let me now use your body to promote my mercy and tell others about it. That's all God's asking. 
But pride keeps us uh, acting like uh, we don't want to share even our lives with God. God wants your life. I want to read something to you said about pride. There's two sides of pride, boasting and self-pity. Both are manifestations of pride. Boasting is the response of pride to success. When I'm successful, I want to boast. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. When I'm suffering, I go into self-pity because, God, I'm one of your noble servants. I shouldn't have had to put up with this. Why, why, why not? Well, I am somebody. Self-pity is pride. Watch. Self-pity, in the opposite of boasting, boasting says, I deserve admiration because I've achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. Boasting sounds self-sufficient. Self-pity sounds self-sacrificing. And they both come from wounded egos. And the desire of the self-pitying is not really for others to, to uh, uh, help them, but to treat them as heroes. The need of self-pitying feels that uh, doesn't come from unworthiness, but it's a sense of unrecognized worthiness. It's the response of unapplauded pride. So I'm into self-pity. What are you counting on today? The applause of men? What are you counting on? Human resources? What are you counting on? Money? Your wisdom? Your husband? Your wife? What you can contribute to the church? I know some folks that are mad at God because they think they've got so much to offer and nobody's recognized it. Is that pride? God, I could really make a difference in this church. Yeah, you could ruin it. God doesn't need any of us. You've got to start with humility. Or you'll be removed so quick you won't know what happened. Because God's looking on. And God says, I've only got room for one person to be promoted at my church. It's my son. He's the sacrifice that stopped the death angel. And when you promote him, I'll draw all men unto myself. When you promote anything else, We'll be churchy, we'll be a lot of stuff, but we won't be Christ-like. I asked you today, is your life a wreck because you've trusted the wrong thing and it's failed you? And now you're in shambles? Have you committed a sin lately that uh, the consequences are coming in? And you're wanting to get back. The sin looks so good. It seems so simple. It was so quick. It was so easy. But now your life's in shambles. How do I get back? Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to confess you were wrong? Are you willing to cast yourself on the mercy of God? Are you willing to cling to the cross of Christ, my sacrifice, the only one that could pay for my sin? Am I willing to offer the rest of my life as a thank you offering for such grace, such mercy, such kindness. 
And you're listening to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we close out our broadcast today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the program encourages you in Christ and how this program is being used by you on a daily basis. Are we just a normal part of your radio listening? Do you tap into our resources available at our website? Have you visited our church? These are things we would love to hear from you. Take a moment, call or write to us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. You're also welcome to visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Take advantage of the resource materials I mentioned a moment ago. We have several. Again, truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also find information about Valley Bible Church right there as well, who we are, what we believe, worship times, services, and directions to the church. We'd love to have you join us, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Again, that's truthfortodayradio.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278. Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And then, as we conclude our time together today, we would also invite you to partner with us. This radio broadcast and the many resources that accompany it are available as you partner with us, as you link arms with us financially and prayerfully. No gift is too small, no gift is too large, and you can do a one-time gift or make monthly pledges. No matter, we'd love to have you be a partner with us as we continue to minister the gospel of Christ to the Bay Area and beyond. So contact us today. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. And you can also donate online at truthfortodayradio.org. That's truthfortodayradio.org. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.